you want to uh, turn to John chapter 13, I'll read that in a minute. John chapter 13. While you're turning there, I want to remind you of something that we know very well, kind of lay the groundwork for today. Our culture, and perhaps every culture in the world, is uh, very focused on this thing we call identity. And if you're not aware of this, then just turn on the news or open a web browser and you're going to find out really quick. In fact, we might even be obsessed with it. We talk about how we identify based on our sex or race or color our education level, who our family is. We identify with the type of diet we're on, the culture we're in, maybe down to a small group or a tribe, the work that we have, the title. We certainly identify by politics. We've seen that the last couple of weeks, haven't we? We might identify by our intelligence, disability, language, location where we live. We seem to pick anything that we can and try to identify with that and make that a part of who we are. One fairly new thing that we're seeing in our culture is this idea that you can um, claim an identity rather than it be something that ends up being more negotiated. You can just be whatever you say that you are. Of course, when we talk about all the different ways of identifying, we see that quickly that doesn't make a lot of sense. If I identify as a very nice person, but I'm not, we all kind of chuckle at that. And of course, that goes all throughout our identities. Identity is so important in our culture that we even do things to be able to identify each other and to show that we're part of the group. You might, if you have a certain set of beliefs, have a certain set of tattoos, for example, or a certain hair color, If you have a certain set of beliefs, you might dress a certain way to then be associated with that identity. And some of this is okay, and some of this is not, but the point is we want to uh, belong to a group of people. We often want to identify with a group of people and tell the difference between us and them. And again, that's not always a very negative thing. Sometimes it can be a very beneficial thing, as I'll talk about here in a minute. But we do things to try to identify ourselves with those we want to be like or identify with. So it comes down to an interesting question that I have for us today is, what is the identity of a Christian? How do we identify other believers in Christ? We could come out with some very uh, simple answers, all of which may be true to a certain degree. You might be able to say, well, by the way that we dress, maybe different than the rest of other societies. Maybe by the way that we attend church might be different. Uh, maybe we uh, wear a cross necklace to try and identify. Maybe we have uh, verses that we have on a, a tattoo or a T-shirt or something like that. There's many, many ways that we can try to show that we belong to a group of people. But what's interesting is that there is one specific way that even Jesus Christ himself tells us, demonstrates who and what we are. We see this in John chapter 13. I'll read verse 34 and 35. I've Quoted these verses before. This is nothing new. John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you may also love one another. 
And then in verse 35, he says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So I want to spend a few minutes this morning looking at this, looking at both the new commandment aspect of this, and then what Christ is saying, how other people will know us by how we love each other. Now, not to lose context here, if you recall, the book of John, a huge majority of it, it's really the last about two weeks of Christ's life. And here, all the way in chapter 13, we're seeing Christ who is gathering his disciples together, those who've been following around, and he takes them to the upper room to prepare the Passover meal to be in accordance with the law. And we call that the Last Supper because it is his Last Supper. And in this upper room, he begins to confide with them and he uh, teaches them the, uh, the Lord's Supper. We had a, a sermon on that a few months ago. And then he gets down and he does something unimaginable for someone of his identity or status. He begins to wash the disciples' feet, teaching them that they are to love each other, that they are to serve each other. He begins and he continues to wash them and we see a beautiful imagery. If you want to read it, I'll just read a little bit in chapter 13. It says in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things unto his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. He rises from the supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And after he poured water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. And he comes to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not, but thou shalt know thereafter. And Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And so real quick, just to pause here. This was so earth-shattering and so undone for a teacher, a rabbi of his status, to go and to lower himself to that of a servant to wash the filth and the grime off of another man's feet that Peter didn't want anything to do with it. You've got to love Peter, don't you? Always count on Peter to say what the rest of us are thinking silently. But Christ tells them, if you don't let me do this, you can't have any part... With me, you have to you have to submit. And so Peter takes it even a step further in verse nine, and Peter said unto him, "Lord, not my feet only then, but also my hands and my head." And Jesus said unto him, "He that is washed needeth not except for his feet, but is clean everywhere." And why are you clean, but not all? He doesn't have to wash all of them. He just had to wash the feet. And he goes around and does this to everyone. And then he's betrayed by his friend. And Christ, knowing what's about to happen, gives these final commands. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is a new command, a new command that Christ is giving, and I think it applies to us today. We are to love each other. How much are we to love each other? Well, Christ just physically showed how much he loved his disciples, that he was willing to be um, a servant to them. But he's getting ready to show them the most ultimate love that he possibly could by laying down his life 
for them. And in between these two acts, in between being a servant to those and in dying for those that he loved, who he loved first, we need to make sure we add that, he demonstrates all these two things and tells them in the middle that this new commandment, you are to love each other. And this applies to us today. In fact, you could say that a distinguishing mark of being a follower of Christ is a deep and sincere love for who? For fellow believers. And I do believe that this passage is specifically talking about those of us who love each other in our uh, brotherly and uh, relationship with each other. Those of us who know the Lord will love each other and we are to love each other. We are to serve each other and we are to do it just the way that Christ modeled for us, which means we should be servants to one another. It means we should love unconditionally one another. It means that we must, yes, forgive each other. And it means that we must love each other how long? Eternally. <clears throat> and maybe, while unplanned in my own mind, I see, and hopefully you do as well, where some of these sermons in the last few weeks come together. This idea that we are looking unto Jesus and following after Him. That we are bringing forth the fruits that God is giving inside of us that only He can grow inside of us. And that we should be doing these things to one another. That we should be lifting each other up and loving each other. And this is a new commandment that we are to do this. Christ's love was sacrificial. It was eternal. He was forgiving toward us. He unconditionally loved us. And He was a servant to us. How much less should we do these things to other brothers and sisters in Christ? 1 John 4 and 9 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, this is what we need to understand, that God loved us when we didn't love Him. None of us have been saved. None of us have come to a saving grace of God because we loved him, but instead because he loved us when we were utterly enemies of him, he loved us anyway. And that great love is the love that now that I know him and now that he knows me, I should be giving toward other people who also have experienced the same love. That unconditional, merciful love that God gave us, I should be giving back to other people. And by telling us this new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you might also love one another, Christ is at the same token making a command and establishing what I think today is our Christian identity. How does the world know who I am? It's not because of my church attendance. It's not because of my language. It's not because of my clothing. It's not because of a cross that I have. It is how I love you. How does the world know who you are? It is how you love each other. This is vitally important and very unusual. Perhaps the first time ever that we identify the other person based on how we love each other. This is unique in history. 
Now, Paul's with me. Let's do a mental exercise for just a minute. Do you think all the disciples got along? I mean, we like to think, well, these, these, these 12 men, and they all walked in a line wearing robes right behind Jesus everywhere he went, because that's what we see like in the movies or something, right? These are, these are men from very different backgrounds. Tax collectors, fishermen. No one liked fishermen or tax collectors back in the day. And I doubt the tax collector liked the fishermen and vice versa. We don't really know the professions of some of the others. We know that even early on, at least seemingly so, in scriptures, at least one of the disciples, and maybe more, considered Judas a thief. Do we have to get along with all of our brothers and sisters? We have to love them, don't we? We like to somehow read the scriptures and think it was easy for them. And maybe it was and maybe it wasn't. But you know what? They did have an argument about what? About which one of them was the best. Who was going to be the greatest among them? Do you think that went over? Do you think that was just like a, an educational? Well, let's see here. Peter, you know, you've done these three miracles. And, 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 and Andrew, you had the fish. And so, uh, but Peter walked on water. So maybe let's just, well, you know, we'll call it even. I'll be like sixth best. How about that? I don't think this was a friendly debate and discussion. I think they were really trying to figure out who's going to be first among us, right? And I guarantee you that made some other ones what? Upset. And so Christ is telling them and reminding them at the very end, as he's about to be crucified and taken away from them, in the last final moments they have, that you are to love each other. How much? Unconditionally. Even when you have a disagreement, even when you have an argument, you should love each other. You should come back together. And this is how the world will know who you are by how much you love each other. Again, how many times I talked about how much I love Peter. How many times do you think the disciples were like, Peter, please just stop talking. Or how many times do they go to him and be like, well, I'm too afraid to say something, but go ask Peter. He'll say it. Y'all got friends like that too, don't you? You're not supposed to laugh that hard. Let me give you one more example of this. Turn with me to Acts for a second. You can, you can leave a marker in John if you'd like to. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, especially the first part of Acts, and really, well, all of Acts, but the first part, we see the the birth of what we would call the church today, the ecclesia, the body of Christ. Those who have been called out from a culture and are made, as the scripture says, a peculiar and a unique people. And we see some really uh, amazing things that happen very early on in the church. And we see how they begin to share this identity and their love for each other. So Acts chapter 2, I'm going to try to read verse 9, 10, and 11. There are three verses I bet most of us skip over when we try to read Acts. I was talking about in Jerusalem, in verse 9 of chapter 2, talking about the people who were there, Corinthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, and Pontus in Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia in Egypt, and the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes 
and Arabians. We do hear them speak in tongues and the wonderful works of God. The idea we have here is people from all over literally the world, and if you actually follow this on a map, it goes out and goes in. Right? So it's very logical in the way he does it. He's not only talking about physical locations. He's talking about different languages, different cultures, people who were Romans who have become Jews, people who were in uh, Jerusalem but were still Romans. All these different people, all these different groups, they come around and they hear what the gospel spoken through the word of God in their own language. And what happens but a few verses later? Verse 41, and then they that gladly received this word were baptized. And that same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, do you think that of those 3,000, they were, they were all Jews who just converted to Christianity? So they had that identity together? No. I think that's exactly the wrong point to take away. Now, do we know what makeup of those 3,000 people from other cultures and languages and tribes from all over the world there was? No, we have no idea. But here's my point, and I, and I wrote this down, so bear with me. I'm, going to, I'm not reinterpreting the scripture. I'm just going to change it to something we understand a little bit, so bear with me. If I was to go back through and read verses 9 through 11 in a different way, I would include these people. All gathered together was uh, someone representing, you're with me, a newly discovered tribe in the Amazon. Someone who's Amish. A Middle Eastern young boy who herds goats. A powerful parliamentary leader in the UK government. A Buddhist monk. A Russian. A Ukrainian. A white supremacist. A black nationalist. A young Chinese woman. A lost boy from Sudan. A homeless man who's addicted to drugs, a feminist, a Catholic, an anarchist, and a fascist. And they all heard the word of God, and some of them believed, and they didn't. What they did is they left all those identities and became what? Believers of God. And how does the world know who they are? How on earth do all these different people who look different, who speak different languages, who have different cultures, who wear different clothing, who have all these different believers, how do they all become one under the banner of Jesus Christ? Well, let's go back to Acts and continue reading in verse 42. And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers... Skip just a few verses for now. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such that should be saved. And we see that the very acts of the beginning of the church is what brought a diverse group of people together and gave them a peculiar and unusual identity. And what was that? That they loved each other. The verses I skipped over in verse 43 and, um, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all the believed were gathered together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men, as every man has need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and of singleness of heart. So they loved each other. What would make today a Russian in the U.S. sell their house to send it back overseas to help a Ukrainian's family? The love of God. 
What would make a Buddhist monk sit down with someone from the tribe of Amazon? The love of God. You see, when we strip away all these different things in our world that we somehow think make us so different that we want to identify, well, I'm this and I'm this and I'm this and I'm not that and I'm not that and I'm not that. What we must always come back to is this idea that we are a child of God and in that we ought to love each other and our love for each other should be so strong that the world stops and says, you are different. You love each other in a way we've never seen before. What is this love that you have? And our one and only response should be that we love each other because God loved us first. And he commanded us to identify in that we love each other and therefore we must live this out. I don't have a choice. I have to love you. This is what we have in common today. This is our shared identity, and it's more important than anything else we can think of. And maybe right now, in the current climate that we have, it's the most important thing that we can do. And so we should ask ourselves a very simple question. How does the world know that you're a believer? How do they know today? Are you trying to show them by the cross you're wearing? I'm not saying don't do that. Are you trying to show them by the things that you say? I'm not saying don't say things you shouldn't say. But does the world look to you today and think, well, you're a believer because we know that you go to church most Sundays or Wednesday nights or whatever? Or do they say to themselves, look at how these people who may have nothing in common with each other love each other and serve each other and are willing to die for each other, are willing to give each other things and love each other so much they spend time together doing things, worshiping God together. Is your identity wrapped up in love for each other? Now I want to say for just a minute, And I always like to make this clear because I don't want people to get the wrong impression when I preach sermons like this. I think maybe if you've been here for a while, you know this, but I'm not preaching this sermon because I think this is a problem in our church. Does that make sense? I don't generally do things like that. What I want to do is to as the scripture says, I'll read here in just a second, to stir us up into even more action. I want us to put us into remembrance, as the scripture says, of the things that God has taught us so that we can go on to the higher things, so that we can grow in more love for each other, so that we can be founded in the truth of the scripture, so that we can be fulfilling the last and new command that Christ gave us before he left this earth, which is to love each other as he has loved us. Hebrews 10 and 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the days coming. What are these days coming? This is the end. Now, I don't know when the end is. One person knows when the end is. At some point, God the Father, seated on His rightful throne in heaven, will look over to His Son and say, Go and get my children. We're done. 
Whenever that happens, but I, one thing I can tell you is it's closer today than it was yesterday. And if we're here tomorrow, it'll be another day closer. And I can tell you that the day is approaching when God in His infinite wisdom will say, done, time is up, son, go and get my children. And until that day, as we feel like this is happening even closer and closer, and I do think it is to some degree, we must do what more and more? We must spend time with each other more and more, and we must love each other and stir each other up to do good works to each other, to go out and to tell the good news of Jesus Christ so that others see us and know, hey, these are these Christian people. who They're just a little different. We must hold fast to the confession of our hope. We must thoughtfully consider how to stir one another up in love and good work. Several different translations uh, kind of added that concept in there. That when we consider or we think about how to do this, we must do it thoughtfully. How do you demonstrate that you love somebody? How do you show someone else in this church that you love them? I mean, I could list 15, 20 things, I guess. But the reality is, when the Spirit of God moves you to do something, you should do what? You should do it. If you need to call someone, then call them. If you need to go visit, go visit. If you need to uh, encourage and reach out through a text, if you just need to stop and pray for someone, if you need to see someone and ask them legitimately, how is your day? How are you doing? I care about you. I missed you. Whatever it is, bringing them over, sending them money, you could go on and on and on. But the point is, no matter what the circumstances, we should be loving our brothers and sisters and lifting them up to a higher status the same way that God, through Jesus Christ, did for us. We should serve them. We should love them unconditionally. We should encourage them. We should not neglect gathering together. That's why I love that we're going to get and hang out and have lunch next week. And the following Sunday, we're going to get together, we're going to decorate, and we're going to sing together, we're going to eat again together. Because we should be together. How often? All the more when the end of time is approaching. How much should we love each other? Even more when the days get going really, really hard. When things look like it's at an end. How much should we encourage each other? All the time. Does the world know who you are by how you love? Does the world know who you are by whom you love? Does the world see a difference between you and everyone else? While everyone else in society is fighting over their claimed identities, I am this, this, and this today, and I'll be that, that, and there tomorrow. Are you looking unto Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith? Are you loving him and in turn taking the love that he demonstrated for us and loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you considering thoughtfully how to grow the love amongst each other? In a way, I hate to go back to 2020. I don't like to talk about it. But there were some tremendous examples of love in this church in 2020, weren't there? Some of them have mentioned, many more never were. 
People who came to my house and dropped something off on my porch and ran away. People who drove out of their way just to give somebody a piece of candy. Phone calls, texts, crazy hat parties on Zoom. Listen, when we had to slow down, we had to be creative about how to show that we loved each other. And we did well. Let us not get so busy with life. Let us not now get so distracted with the identities that get forced upon us that we lose sight of the one thing that we are to do, which is to love God, to love our brothers and sisters. Let's not get so distracted that we forget who we're supposed to love and how we're supposed to serve each other. Do you love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ the way that Christ loved us? As I said, this church does this very well. And maybe not everybody says it to you like I hear it. So let me just summarize a few things. We have a fair number of visitors who come to the church in and out over the four and a half years that I've been here. And almost every single one of them who will talk with me for a minute will say something about, they won't use these words, to talk about what a close family this is, how loved they feel, how they can tell that everyone here loves each other. And you know what they also say? It reminds me of when I was young. It reminds me of a church I used to go to. That makes me really happy. That's what it should be. And what's so interesting is, you know, no one's ever said, and I've had a few people complain to me, so don't think it doesn't happen. But no one's ever said to me, but they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't let me in. I could see they loved each other, but they were, they were, they were standoffish. Y'all just like open your arms. You're like, everybody comes in. Like, let's get closer and hug. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. That is a mark of people who love God and who love each other. And when we find other believers who know the Lord, we just open our arms and say, come on in, let's help. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. It's exactly what we're supposed to do. It's what the church did at the very beginning. And it's what we should focus on doing today. I've preached on this before, going back to Acts chapter 2. What did they do? There's a number of things. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They taught, they they were taught and they learned, and fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and they shared in prayers. They praised God, and they had favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily such that should be saved. And it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it split, and it grew, and it split, and it grew. And the amazing thing is, is we are here today through the grace of God and because men and women who loved each other took the gospel to every end of the earth. And we are here today, recipients of God's grace, thankful to those who have gone before us, who loved each other enough that that became their identity and people knew who they were. 
And so my encouragement today is let us continue to do well. Let us be thoughtful, diligent, considering how we can grow love amongst each other. Who is it that we need to reach out to? Who is it that we need to encourage? Who is it that we need to love? How should we help our brothers and sisters in Christ? How do we stir up one another to do even better as the scriptures tell us? I'm going to close with a quote from a Roman convert, and we have his historical accounts. Somewhere in North Africa, again, getting a little outside of Rome, a little outside of Jerusalem. He says something, and it's a rough translation. He was talking about what the pagans think about Christians. And his summary was what they say is, See how these Christians love each other. He lived somewhere around 160 to 225 AD. So it's been a minute since Christ died and was resurrected and established his church on earth. And here we see in a whole other culture in northern Africa, this man who talks to pagans, who are anti-God, who uh, worship false gods, who do all kinds of horrible things. And what is it that they say about Christians? These people love each other. And the full quote talks about how the pagans, and we hate each other. That's what they actually say. I don't know that I could think of any greater honor than for someone today who doesn't know the Lord to walk in here and say, y'all love each other. Y'all act like brothers and sisters. Well, you know what? We are. If you know the Lord, if you share in the same grace that I have received, then you are my brother and you are my sister, and I am to love you the same way that Jesus Christ loved us. And so let us go on to think about how we can love each other, how we can encourage this, how we can grow, how the world can look at us. And when we are struggling in a world that says, who are you? Demonstrate it by what you say and what you do. Let us put on love, if you will, to our brothers and sisters. And they say, oh, I, I didn't mean to understand, but there's something different about you. Let us make sure that we identify as loving each other and encouraging each other, spending time with each other, growing together in the word of God and loving him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity for us. Lord, I thank you for this reminder. Lord, I thank you that in the midst of teaching the last lessons to the disciples, Lord, you would remind them, this is a new commandment I'm giving you to love each other. And Lord, that you would make that the identifying theme that everyone in all societies and all languages and all the world and all cultures knows what love is. And Lord, I pray that when they see us, they would see your love through us. Lord, that you would help us to know the needs that others have. Lord, to know how to encourage Lord, to be willing to give of our time and our energy and our money and our effort and everything that we have to each other. Lord, so that we can build up the body through your love. Lord, that we can look unto you for direction and strength. <coughs> Knowing that as we look to you, 
in unity, in thought, going the same direction. Lord, I pray that as the days get uh, fewer and fewer, as the times get darker, as we are pulled in every direction to find something to identify with, Lord, that we would remain close to you and identify in our love for each other. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us, lift us up. Lord, may we be a group of called out believers who are different. Lord, may that love manifest by the things that we do and the things that we say and the way that we love each other. Lord, because we know that that is what the world is looking for. It's the thing that's missing inside of them is that love. Lord, may we put it through your power on full display display before a lost and dying world that by looking at us, they see you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your example. We thank you for your words. We thank you for dying for us, giving us the ultimate sacrifice of love. In your name we pray. Amen.